Welcome back to Thirsty the Podcast. I'm Laura Koo. And I'm Heather McGee. Today we're talking about reclaiming your sex life after divorce with Vanessa and Xander Moren. Thank you everyone for joining us. As a reminder, if this content resonates with you, please share Thirsty with your community and remember to rate, review, and follow us wherever you get your podcast. Hi everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. So after divorce, many people are dating in a world that may have changed a lot since the last time they were in the dating pool. Sometimes it's been decades uh, and it's just been a very long time since they've been back out there. They're having sex with new partners or going on new dates. They're discovering new things about their sexual orientation, their sexual style, about them as a human. And this can just feel really intimidating for a lot of people and bring up a lot of emotions, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of just not being sure how to move forward or how to think about it or how to figure it out for yourself. So today we wanted to bring in experts to talk about it. She's a sex therapist. He's just a regular guy. And together they host the wildly popular Pillow Talks podcast, as well as co-authors of the New York Times bestselling book, Sex Talks, The Five Conversations That Will Transform Your Love Life. Please welcome Vanessa and Xander Marin. We're so happy to have you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Really glad to be here. Uh, now, Vanessa and Xander, would you like to share a little bit more with our audience about who you are and what you do? I'll go first. I'm Vanessa. So I'm a licensed sex therapist. I initially got into this field because of my parents' attempt at giving me the talk. So like many people, it was a very incredibly awkward experience. And it just left me wondering, like, why is sex so difficult to talk about? That question really stuck with me for most of my life. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to dedicate my life to helping people have healthier sex lives and get more comfortable talking about this topic. Now, interestingly, I never thought this would be anything I would ever be doing or talking about publicly. When I first met Vanessa, it was before she went to grad school. And I thought it was pretty cool that she wanted to become a th sex therapist. You know, I thought that was a cool thing to tell my friends about, but I never thought that I would be talking about it myself. Um, but fast forward a number of years and Vanessa kind of built up, you know, her business turned it from a psychotherapy practice into an online business. And, you know, I started getting involved working behind the scenes with her and, you know, running the online business. And Vanessa slowly but surely started convincing me like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we talked a little bit about stuff that was going on with us? And, you know, I felt really hesitant to do that because, you know, it took me a while to feel comfortable just talking about my own sex life. But also I was like, hey, you've been through all this grad school, all this training, and I haven't done any of that stuff. But she was like, no, just you being the regular guy, like in a relationship, in a marriage, that's so valuable. So slowly but surely, I started talking more and more about what was going on with us. And it turns out it's really fun to talk about your sex life and your relationship and get to help lots of other people and get to have fun with my wife. So now we have a business where we help couples in long-term relationships, keep the mm -hmm. spark alive. And we do that through our podcast, our book, and we have some amazing guides and courses. Too. Yeah. I am a avid reader of your podcast. Uh, I love the book. Um, there was just so much in there that I thought was really practically helpful, very straightforward about the, the hills and the valleys and all of those things that couples go through. I thought your book was really full of a lot of practical advice. I could really go on all day talking about it. 
There was Thank one you. thing that really popped out to me immediately, and I was so happy to read more about it. I love how you talk about how we need to destroy the fairy tale that we've told ourselves about sex. I think you actually called it the fucking fairy tale, which is yep. very clever. <laughs> Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about what you mean by that? So the fucking fairy tale is the version of sex that we have all seen thousands of times on TV and in the movies. And very similar to how we have this fairy tale version of romance of like you find your knight in shining armor. He sweeps you off your feet. You live happily ever after. Like on TV and in the movies, we always see sex the same way. So two characters, they just look at each other from across a crowded room. They make eye contact. Love at first sight. It's on. (laughs) They're dashing into the bedroom, jumping into bed. There's like 10 seconds of little candlelit montage. And then they're both flopping back onto the bed, you know, perfectly satisfied, heads on the pillow. Everybody's so happy. And so we see this scene played out so many times that we can't help but internalize it and feel like... You know, if I've really found the right partner, if the chemistry is really right between the two of us, then sex should happen this naturally and effortlessly and easily. Yeah, Laura and I were actually, uh, we got on a little bit earlier when we were talking about that, about how sometimes when you're dating someone, if it's not exactly working out in that department the way that you want it to, there can be this little voice that says, well, maybe the universe you know, that maybe this means something. It's not meant to be, which maybe sometimes that true that's true, but not always. And sometimes there's a conversation to be had. So I really appreciate that you guys had some really good uh, discussion and advice on how to talk about that. And to that end, what can we do to help people talk more openly uh, about their sex life, what they're looking for, sex in general with their partner or partners? It's, it's kind of a scary topic to talk about sometimes with the person that you are dating. The first thing is that you need some examples and some role models. So that's why we tell people like follow us on Instagram. We're at Vanessa and Xander and we show up you know, in stories, in posts, and you'll get to see us talking about sex openly as a married couple. We've been together for six years and like sharing our own, you know, peaks and valleys, like you said earlier. So I think just being able to have an example is so powerful because for most of us, we've never seen people do this before. And so that makes it feel even scarier and more vulnerable when we imagine ourselves doing it. You've talked about how partners can struggle with mismatched sex drives and, um, you know, you talk about how it's really helpful for us to self-identify what kind of sex drive we have. And if I'm remembering correctly, you talk about responsive versus spontaneous. Um, can you explain a little bit more about those different drive types um, and how that can be helpful for us in our relationships to kind of navigate if we know what type we are? This is some of the most fascinating and important research that has come out of the sex therapy field in the last few years. And most people have no clue about it. So I always love talking about this. So most people don't realize there are two different sex drive types. And like you just said, they're spontaneous and responsive. And what they boil down to is where we feel desire first. So we can feel desire mentally, like in our heads, the idea of sex sounds great. And we can feel desire in our bodies, like our bodies physically start to prepare for sex, getting an erection, getting wet, your heart rate starting to increase all of that. So the first type is spontaneous. And what happens in that type of desire is that you feel it mentally first and then in your body afterwards. And so this is what you always see in the fucking fairy tale. It's like that eye contact, you're thinking about it out of nowhere, and then you just run off and have sex. 
The second type of desire is called responsive and it's the exact opposite. So we feel desire in our bodies first and then we feel it in our heads afterwards. So the classic sign that you might be responsive desire is if you've ever been in the middle of sex or even at the end of sex and you've caught yourself thinking, huh, this is really fun. Why do I never seem to want this? Or why don't I seem to want this more often? (laughs) And what's happening there is that that's what your responsive desire needs. Like your body has been turned on and aroused, you're feeling good. And now your head is kicking in and saying, ah, yeah, this is fun. This is good. I do want to continue. So research has found that the vast majority of women fall into that responsive camp. And this is really important because as women, we tend to blame ourselves when things aren't going well in any part of the relationship, honestly. But when it comes to sex, we hear things from women like, you know, I have low desire, I have no desire, I'm broken, something's wrong with me. When the reality is a lot of those women are just responsive desire types. They just need to have the physical stimulation first. So if you ask a responsive desire person like out of nowhere, hey, are you turned on right now? Hey, do you want to have sex right now? 99 times out of 100, the answer is going to be no, because they haven't had any physical stimulation first. Yeah. So it turns out we end up where ask off so often in relationships, we're asking the wrong question. We're assuming when we initiate that both people are spontaneous, whether or not either partner is spontaneous, just because we think that's the way it's supposed to happen. And so then if the person you're asking is not spontaneous, it's very unlikely that the answer to do you want to have sex is going to be yes. So we got to figure out a way to ask a different question. And if we're a spontaneous desire type, yeah, we are judging ourselves by the wrong standard. We're thinking, oh, well, I'm not just randomly thinking of sex or I'm just random, not randomly like wanting it or asking for it. Something must be wrong with me when in fact, like you're working just fine. I have to tell y'all when I read this part, I was on a plane and I was like blown away because I had never, I had never heard of this before. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's actual science for the reasons people feel that way. And I actually made my boyfriend who was with me, I made him read that part right there in the plane. He was like, you know, this is really interesting, but we're on a plane in public and maybe we can talk about this when we get home. (laughs) I do want to ask y'all, this is making me wonder. So a lot of times, you know, Laura and I are in all kinds of like Facebook groups with other women, other moms. Um, and really the libido thing is the thing that I will say I hear posted about a lot. And, you know, to the mm-hmm. point that women take supplements and medicine and, and things like that. And they're like trying to get themselves going. And this is a real question and not a leading one. Do you, is there science that says that helps? Or do you think some of that is misplaced, not understanding how they work sexually? It's it's misplaced. So I'll tell you the three leading causes of low libido. Number one is actually a lack of emotional connection. You're not feeling connected to your partner. And so for so many of us, it's like, if we, it feels like there's a stranger crawling in bed next to me at the end of the night. I, I don't want to have sex with that person. So emotional connection is number one. <laughs> Number two is lack of enjoyment. So we talk about this in the book as the enjoyment desire connection. This is so obvious, but most people never make this connection. If you are not enjoying the sex that you're having, 
you are not going to crave it. It would not make any sense. It's kind of like how you don't crave food that you don't like, right? Yeah, we, we love food, so we're always making food comparisons. Nobody's ever craving a bowl of overly steamed mushy broccoli, right? And we don't think anything's wrong with us for not wanting that. And sex works the same way. You know, very often when we hear people say, oh, I have low libido, we'll ask them, tell us about the sex that you are having. And it sucks. It's it's routine. It's predictable. There's nothing in it for me. I don't get any enjoyment out of it. So why would we crave it? And then the third cause is sexual pain. 30% of women experience pain the last time they had sex with a partner, which is just a mind boggling statistic to think about, like almost one in every three women. And so similar like to if you're not enjoying it, you're not going to crave it. If you're experiencing yeah. pain, unwanted pain during it, it's impossible to enjoy it. So those three things, none of them can be addressed by the little weird supplement that you're picking up at your local target. And I just want to say, like, I get it. I get the appeal of a supplement. Like who wouldn't want to have a magic pill to solve any of our problems in life? Like I would love a million magic pills that I could just take. But we need to recognize that libido, the causes of low libido are so much deeper than just popping a pill can satisfy. And there really isn't any research showing that any of these, you know, supplements and vitamins and stuff are effective at all. You know, I don't talk about my former marriage very often, but definitely all three, which as you're going through that, I'm like, yes, all of those things. And it's so funny because mm -hmm. it was such a contentious point for the last few years of my marriage. But like, to your point, like if it's not enjoyable and not great and all of these things, then it isn't something that you want. And, but you feel so much shame around it. And again, when I hear the words sex drive, because it's not explained in the way that we just talked about, my brain goes to this negative point because you hear you hear high or low. And so you don't understand how to navigate what that actually means. Um, I like the way that you break it down. And again, learning that there's so much science behind it, which I think we kind of forget that there's a lot more yeah. to it than just this black and white situation. Um, you also talked about or have talked about um, reverse and drive modes when it comes to sex drive. What does that mean? So the, those different modes talk about what gets us in the mood, but also what gets us out of the mood. So most of us, when we, when we think about libido, we're thinking of it in the context of how do I make myself want sex more often? Like, what are the things I can do to turn myself on, get myself revved up and going? But as a sex therapist, I found that it's actually more effective for us to first focus on the things that are getting in the way of us feeling desire. So this is what I call reverse mode. It's like, we can't even, we're not even driving. We're not even in neutral at a standstill. We're like actively going backwards because we're getting turned off. So this is a great question to ask yourself or like, what are the things that get in the way of me feeling desire or that actually turn me off? And you can get really creative with this. I, I recommend everybody just start a little list, get a note on your phone and like keep coming back to it, adding to it whenever you think of anything. Because some of these things can be really practical and easy to fix. So for example, one that comes up all the time, especially with moms, is privacy. 
if I feel like there's a chance that the kids are going to walk in, it's really hard for me to get in the mood. And there are some very simple ways that you can address that. Maybe it's putting a lock on the door. Maybe it's getting a sound machine or putting the TV on so there's some background noise. Maybe sometimes it's holding yourself up in your closet and just trying to like get a little more sound privacy that way. Or maybe it's even just talking through like what happens uh -huh. if the kids walk in. What's the game plan? Just knowing that you've talked about it, you have a plan. Yeah. So just trying to identify like what are the things that are getting in my way and what can I do or what can we do working together as a team to eliminate some of those things so that I can even get in the point where I could get into drive. Now, once things get going, you have a saying that I will just tell y'all, which may make you happy. I say this a lot. Um, now I've taken your saying as my own because I, I think it is such a powerful statement. One of the things you say are uh, everyone who wants an orgasm gets one. And I love that because I know for me, there have been times in my life where if it didn't end a certain way, I felt like I failed. And there have been other times where I'm like, I'm really okay with it. <laughs> like, I don't, you know, and mm -hmm. like have, and also on the flip side of that, having it in the way that you want it to. And I think that's such a powerful statement and putting it in yourself. Can you talk a little bit more about your perspective on that and the power of it? This really comes back to that enjoyment, desire, connection. And it, it overlaps with another thing called the orgasm gap. So research has shown that in male-female relationships, men are having way more orgasms than women are. So we wanted to we want to find a way to close that orgasm gap, make sure everybody is feeling pleasure, feeling satisfied because then we're also going to be on a more even playing field when it comes to feeling desire as well. So we came up with this phrase to, to indicate, you know, whenever, and this is really our own personal approach to sex too, like when we're going to be intimate with each other, anyone who wants an orgasm gets one. So we're making sure there's equality in both of our experiences, but we're also making space for that aspect of like, sometimes people don't want to have an orgasm. Like orgasms are amazing and they're great. Don't get me wrong, but they're not the be all end all. And I think especially this is something that I want more men to understand as well, is that we don't need to have the orgasm be the goal every single time. Like a lot of times you might feel like, hey, I just want to give something to you tonight, or I'm feeling connected and satisfied, but for some reason I couldn't quite get there, but I'm fine. I, I still feel happy with what happened. So we think it's a great approach for everyone to take towards sex. Yeah. And it's so important because when you haven't had that discussion, when you haven't talked about that, it's so easy to start making assumptions and where it's like, oh, well, she didn't have an orgasm. So I'm not going to be satisfied until I make sure she does, even if she's having, you know, a challenge getting there right now, you know, I'm going to feel better about myself if, if I do that. And it's not, I haven't done a good job until that's happened or even on the flip side, like, as as a guy, maybe like if you're having any kind of performance struggle, that can be a real challenge of, well, we can't finish until I finish because she's not going to feel good about herself or mm -hmm. she's going to think something's wrong with me. The only way I can prove to myself that I'm good enough is like getting through this. And I've definitely had times I've really struggled with that where I didn't feel comfortable being like, hey, you know what? This isn't happening right now. I think it would be a lot easier if we just took a break and maybe came back to this later, but instead, you know, pushed myself through and created so much more, more struggle and more challenge because of that. So I think that it's just so helpful for both parties in a relationship, regardless of the genders of just taking so much of that pressure off. Yeah. Well, and I think something that I didn't think about until 
put it into practice, it really allowed me to connect with the person I was with because it removed that pressure of it has to go a certain way. And you just remove that and you just connect to that person. And then it's much more natural and authentic. And it, it's really a powerful statement. So if anyone hasn't heard that before, highly recommend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, pivoting a little bit to some of the um, special circumstances that happen after divorce related to sex, we have heard from our listeners that in addition to rediscovering themselves as a whole, as a human, they're also experiencing quite a bit of a sexual reawakening or discovery for the first time even. And that relates to identity, orientation, what they're into, what they're not into. Some people are exploring that for the first time or for the second or third or fourth time in years. What are some of the top patterns you've seen in your practice from perhaps some of your divorce clients or your divorce listeners that you've seen as maybe a hot spot? Definitely what you're describing of just feeling like they're rediscovering themselves for the first time. So one thing that really happens in long-term relationships is that our definition of sex narrows the longer we're together. A lot of couples, you know, when we start having sex with each other, we're more experimental, we're trying new things, we're kind of pushing our own comfort zones a little bit. But as the relationship goes on, we get into a routine. Yeah, it's like, this is working, we did these things, and it's working for the past couple of times. Therefore, we've made a deal without ever talking about it, without, without ever shaking on it. We've made, we have a blood oath. This is what we do and never changes. And so for a lot of couples, it gets to this point where you can even script out in your head exactly what sex is going to look like. You're like, it's you know, 10 seconds of, he kind of grabs my right boob for a few minutes. And then we kick, you know, we make out for a few seconds and he climbs over on top. You know, it's like, you know exactly what's going to happen. And so for a lot of people, they describe, you know, once I'm out of that relationship and starting to, you know, be on my own, exploring my sexuality on my own, being with new partners, it's like the door has opened back up and you realize like, oh, there's so many more possibilities than what I've been experiencing over the last few years or decades. And I think that can feel thrilling and really scary at the same time. Yeah, I can imagine that it can be scary because it's like on the one hand, it, it takes you back almost to like early in your sexual experience where you are like, okay, there's all these things I want to do, but I don't really know how to do them. And that's a little scary. But it's weird later on because you're like, well, I've been having sex for years and years and years, right? Like I'm supposed to know what I'm doing, but the sex that I've been having has been, you know, pretty a thin slice of the options. And now it's like, God, I haven't done all the other stuff in so long. That exactly describes my experience because I got back out there and I was like, wait, I thought I was really confident in this area. <laughs> and, and now I just feel like I know nothing when I got back out there with other people because you're right. It's like one very particular experience. Then when you're back out there in a very different environment, it kind of I, I think it's hard for it not to shake your confidence a little bit. I think one one thing that you know can help people that are in that situation is like we, we like to talk about how there's no such thing as being universally good and bad. And I think that from an early age, we get this idea that we are supposed to be good and bad. Like that's something that we are all aspiring to, right? Or we hear about people like, oh, that person's really good and bad. They know what they're doing. But the reality is, you know, if when you're in a relationship with someone, you're having sex with them a lot, hopefully you are you are becoming good and bad with that person. You're understanding what they like, what you like, 
how you fit together and you know what works for you. And so, yeah, you can be really great with that person. And then you can be with another person and what they like, what they need might be totally different from your last partner. And there's no way for you to know that without talking about it, without trying it. So yeah, like how are you gonna take your all that experience from one person and apply it to someone else? Like th there's no way that you can do that. So it's like, it can be really freeing to just think about, hey, each time you're with someone new, like you're both starting from scratch in a way. Like it's it's an opportunity for both of you to learn something new. Kind of dovetailing on that. Um, something I was thinking about as we were preparing for this, because I think Heather and I could talk about these topics all day long because post-divorce life and dating, I mean, it's wild and weird times. <laughs> and again, we're in so many divorce groups and relationship groups. And so you see so many posts and I think one really challenging place that people navigate, especially when they're getting back out there and dating is, you know, you're talking to somebody new and how quickly the conversations can turn to sex. And often it's too early. And if you're new to dating, it's a runaway train because you're not prepared for it. Um, and then you go down this path and you're like, how did I get here? What's going on? And it's definitely not the direction you thought it was going to go. But when you're new, you have no clue what you're doing. But thinking about what we've talked about, you know, good communication around sex and different drive types and trying to, you know, we're all out there trying to meet a partner that we're really compatible with. Do you have any advice for people who, again, are getting back out there and they want to navigate this? They know sex is an important part of a relationship. They want to find a good match. But how do you approach that when you're like just starting to talk to someone so that it doesn't devolve away from still wanting to get to know them. Like you don't want it to be all sex all the time, but you still kind of want to understand if you're a match. I do think it's a good sign that people are talking more openly about sex. What I see happening right now is there's a bit of an overcorrection. It's like, we haven't talked about it for so long, but now the door is open and it's like, well, let's just talk about it like on the first date in the first few minutes. And so a lot of people are having this experience of like, oh, wow, that's a lot really fast. So we're, we're swinging a little too far to one side, but I do think in general, like I would rather somebody be an over communicator as long as they're being you know respectful about it. I would rather somebody be an over communicator than an under communicator. So I think that's one thing to look at. Then I think a lot of it is also trial and error of you figuring out what feels comfortable for you. So there's really no way to know ahead of time, like, oh, I feel comfortable talking about sex with somebody on the fourth date. Like, it, we're just not going to be able to come up with those kinds of detailed boundaries or guidelines. So I think really giving yourself the permission to see, like, let me see how this feels in the moment. What if I do start talking about it a little bit earlier? Or I do answer, a, you know, a question and kind of see what you can learn. And you'll start to get a sense for yourself of, you know what, I had that conversation a little too early last time. I think I want to wait a little bit longer. And then the third thing I'll say is that I think it's better to start talking about sex in more generalities rather than in specifics. So a great question to ask in the early stages of a relationship is something like, how important is physical intimacy to you? So you're not going into a first date saying like, tell me all your deepest, darkest, kinkiest fantasies, please. <laughs> um, but you're still creating a space to gauge, like, does this person seem to value intimacy in the same way that you do? Do they get really freaked out and they don't want to talk about it at all? Or, you know, do they share something that you realize, like, hmm, maybe we don't really have a lot of compatibility here. So you're talking about sex in a more general way, which can be just a great way to, to get a little bit of a sense of what you need. Oh, 
I think that's really helpful to be a little bit more intentional. And again, I think it's kind of that learning curve when you get back out there of figuring out just with anything dating related, what are you comfortable with? What works, what doesn't? And also knowing you're going to go out on probably a whole lot of dates and being able to kind of hone in on what works for you. Um, again, so many people, I think, just skip to feeling bad about themselves or they did something wrong or they said the wrong thing when things go the you know a different direction and being able to just course correct. Another practical thing that you can do is I would recommend that everybody come up with a little phrase uh, that you can use if somebody asks you a question that you don't want to answer. So if you really know you have that in your back pocket, that can help prevent anxiety in the moment. So I think a great one is, you know, that's a great question, but I'd rather wait until the next date to talk about it. Or that's something that I don't really talk about until I'm exclusive with somebody or, you know, so it's going to be different for everybody, but a way that you, you don't have to shame the person for asking. Of course, we're talking about only people asking respectful things, but you don't want to shame them. You still want to keep that conversation open, but you're also setting a boundary of that's not something that I feel comfortable talking about right now. So if you have that phrase ahead of time, that can make those moments feel a lot easier. No, that's super helpful. Now let's fast forward to you have a new partner and maybe you've had sex a handful of times and it isn't that great. How does somebody navigate that? Because I think that's also just so challenging, especially (laughs) when you are freshly out there and you're like, whoa, this is not working. But you like the person. Like, how do you work on that in early stages? The fucking fairy tale also tells us that that first time should be magical, like right the from best. the get go. The like, best ever. Incredible. So <laughs> we'll be vulnerable here. I'll share our first time was a solid yeah. B plus. Like that's being generous. Oh, sure. Xander, Xander's <laughs> like, I would usually give it a B, B minus maybe. Like it was not fireworks. It was not, you know, my earth shattering experience. Yeah. It was like, Okay, that that was fun. It was <laughs> it was pretty quick, but like just long enough to where I felt like, okay, I guess this is respectable. <laughs> Next time will be better. <laughs> I think just being able to normalize that, like it's okay. We've been together for 16 years and it got a whole lot better than those first few times. So just being able to normalize, like it's okay if you don't have immediate chemistry with somebody. And like Xander was saying earlier, like there is no such thing as being universally good in bed. So we all need some time to figure out like, how do we fit together and what do we like? And you know, how do we do this together? So giving yourselves that time is so important definitely start talking about, you know, what you like and what you're wanting more of in those earlier moments as well. So like a big mistake that we say, see a lot of couples making is they don't want to talk about sex. So then you get to this point, you know, months or even years into the relationship and you're like, that little secret move that you thought you had, I have been hating it the whole time. So we don't want to go down that path. But I think a very practical way to start doing this is what we call the post game. So after you've had sex with somebody, take a few minutes to talk about what you liked. And we always suggest framing it in a positive way too. So obviously if like your partner's just rolling off of you and you're like, that was not good. Maybe try something different next time. Of course, it's going to hurt their feelings and feel really uncomfortable. But ask for more of what you did like or find ways to to ask for what you want, but that make it feel really sexy and exciting for them to do. So like a great example that comes up 
is we always hear from women who are in relationships with men, like he goes to this intercourse so quickly. It's like speeding through it. Like I, I can we slow it down, take a little bit of time. So again, like if you were to say to your partner, like, dude, slow down, what are you in such a rush for? Of course, that's going to hurt his feelings. But if you say something like, you know, it sounds so sexy to me. If next time you go so slow that you get me to the point where I'm begging you for us to have intercourse, that sounds so hot. So it's like, you know, you're still making a request. You're giving him some feedback, but in a way that sounds incredibly sexy and not at all like critical or condescending. That's a much sexier way to frame that conversation, I have to say, <laughs> rather than handing them a report card immediately after. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to get too detailed of like, okay, here's the minute by minute breakdown of your performance. But I think when you're in bed together, it just naturally is such a great time to bring up those conversations because it's just happened. You've just had examples. And hopefully there are positive things that you can say like, that was really fun. Or I like that position that we tried. And then you can slip and a few other things of, you know, what sounds really fun for next time or, you know, something that, you know, really turns me on to think about doing with you. And I think it also helps to, to maybe give yourself a little more patience for someone when you're with someone new, you've done it a couple of times and it's kind of seeming like, oh, it's the, the same so-so thing every time. It's like things aren't really changing. It's just, you know, reminding yourself of what I said a couple minutes ago of like how, you know, with each person, it's a brand new thing. And it's so easy for us to, you know, it's so easy for us to bring in our past experience and be like, oh, I know it's good. Like, you know, I've done this with a couple other partners and they all like, it all, it, it all gave all of them got had orgasms and, you know, I just do these things and it works. And so having some patience for this person, like they may not have realized yet that there is no such thing as being universally good and bad. They may be coming at it the same way you may have come at it, like right when you got out of your marriage of like, yeah, I'm super confident. I know what I'm doing. And you do it a couple of times and you're like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, they may not have had that realization yet. And so that might be a way to you know, have a little patience and realize like, oh, okay, I need to take a couple, uh, you know, the first step in, in, you know, having that conversation about like, hey, it was so hot when you did this or, oh, you know, we did this for just a second, but it would be so hot if we, you know, spent like, twice as much time next time doing this. I, I, <laughs> 10 times more time, maybe. <laughs> but, you know, we spent way more time on this. Um, and, you know, just realizing, okay, yeah, like I'm going to have to initiate this because, you know, this, my partner probably has the same perspective that I used to have. And it takes a little while to break out of that. Yeah, I think also when you think about wanting to forge a strong relationship and communication skills and all of the things that we know are so important that being able to have those conversations earlier on and seeing how that other person responds to it, are they able to be a little bit more open? Or are they really close off about it? For me would be really telling of like, how is it going to be a year from now? And if this person's really closed off, then I probably need to navigate that in a different way outside of the bedroom to try and understand, is it just around sex? Is it other topics? Um, because like you've talked about, a lot of people don't like talking about sex. And if that's a hang up, then I would kind of want to know more. And that can be pretty telling. Exactly. I always look for a willingness to communicate. So sex is awkward and uncomfortable to talk about. Most of us don't have the experience doing it. So I wouldn't judge your partner if they're 
stuttering over their words or they turn bright red or anything like that. But as long as you see a willingness to have those conversations, or maybe they're even saying something like, oh, this is tricky for me to talk about, but here, here I am trying to do it. You know, that's a great sign. Now we've re- received some questions from our listeners on a particular subject, um, especially as again, we're all getting older, getting back out there in the dating scene or with long-term partner. And we're all, you know, getting up there. Um, sorry, my birthday is around the corner. So I think I'm thinking <laughs> about mind. it. <laughs> Mine is too. When is yours? Uh, March 1st. Okay. I'm February 13th. Nice. (laughs) So a topic that has come up has been um, the topic of ED and how to navigate ED issues in a new relationship, which is just, it's a tough one. It is a tough one. I mean, it's a, it's a challenging thing to talk about in any relationship. The most important thing to do is to not make it into a big deal. So as women, we've really been socialized to put so much of our own value and worth into our desirability. So most of us women, like the mistake that we make when our partner is having some sort of performance issue is that we take it extremely personally. And we think it's me. I'm not sexy enough. I'm not attractive enough. And our brains can even go to some dark places. Like I'm not thin enough. I'm, you know, all this, my boobs aren't big enough, all this kind of stuff can come up. But the reality is performance issues are very, very rarely about the other person. Performance issues are caused by anxiety, by health issues, by side effects from medication. In my entire career as a sex therapist, there's maybe one time where it was actually about attraction. And that was a complicated case. But, you know, so we want to make sure to not take it so personally in the moment. So if you get really upset, if you start crying, if you storm out of the room, that is only going to ensure that your partner continues to experience it. So the best thing you can do in the moment is just be calm, relaxed, act like it's not a big deal and suggest doing something else. So one of my favorite recommendations is to ask your partner to focus on you. Um, Give him a toy or tell him like, why don't you go down on me or use your hands on me? So this accomplishes a few things. Like it keeps the momentum going. So it doesn't feel like, oh, your body's not working. Well, this is over. (laughs) It also ensures that you get to still feel pleasure and satisfaction. And it can gives him something to do. So he's kind of distracted by like, oh my God, my body's not working the way that I want it to. And it can even increase his confidence because if he sees that he's bringing you pleasure with, you know, other parts of his body or with a toy and it's not that sex is completely reliant on the performance of his penis, then that's going to make him feel a lot better. And I think this is something that's going to take a lot of repetition to really sink in, you know, for, for him to, to really believe and know that like, oh yeah, this is, it's cool. Like this isn't a big deal because the reality is, is that, you know, for men, it really has been ingrained in us from an early age that sex is all about you. You're the leader when it comes to sex. It's reliant on your body. It's reliant on your erection. Like sex ends when you finish. It's, you know, you have to give her an orgasm with your penis. (laughs) Like, so that makes it really challenging. And then combine that with the, the fact that it's quite possible that he's been with past partners that may have made him feel bad about what was going on or who did take it personally, um, you know, it, it took me a very long time to kind of deprogram that out of, out of my brain. And so, you know, just knowing like that, 
those performance issues, they're not easy for him. And he probably has some baggage associated with those things. And so, yeah, it's going to take some repetition of him really seeing, oh, okay. Yeah. Like she's, she's cool with this. She's, she's not making it about her. Um, she's not like trying to fix the problem for me. Like there's just space for us to keep going. There's space for me to, you know, to, to, to get what I need out of this. And, um, you know, and, and nothing bad is happening. I have a follow-up question though. So in these groups, I will say this is like perhaps by far the number one question. And I don't know if it's because of age or, you know, you know, cause most of the people in our audience are 35 through 50. And so perhaps it's more of an issue up in that age range than when we were in our twenties. One thing that we've seen pretty uniformly is the um, vulva owners are all talking about it ad nauseum, where, and it would appear almost all the time, the penis owners are not bringing it up. Like, it's like, there's clearly an issue and they are not talking about it. They're not bringing it up. And then all on these Facebook groups and the group chat and the brunch chat, everybody's talking about it. You know, what am I going to do? How do I handle this? Xander, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that you're here. Why, like, why, like, clearly when there's an issue, I guess I'm the kind of person's like, let's not, not talk about it. But like, clearly is like, it just, a lot of times when the other person, like they're having an issue, I I feel like it's on me to bring it up or the, all of these women feel like they need to bring it up. Mm -hmm. What, why does that happen? Well, I think there's a couple of things. I, I think, so first of all, yes, men definitely do struggle with asking for help. That is, that is, that is a huge challenge. And, you know, that's a huge stereotype that is, you know, very much true. Like men don't like to ask for directions. They don't like to admit that something is wrong. You know, very often we would prefer to bury our head in the sand and just hope something gets better. So it's not surprising to me that what you're seeing is a lot of women bringing this up and not, and like, and and I imagine a lot of them are like, oh, well, like he's not doing anything about it. I mentioned it a couple of times. Mm-hmm. He just tried to brush it off, said it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. So there is there's that. I think on the other hand, when it comes to when it comes to ED, um, I think you know, we see a lot of commercials for a lot of products and a lot of like services out there. And I think, you know, very often we jump to like, oh, you know, like I need we need pills to solve this problem. And I think that very often the causes of of performance issues are more more often psychological. Mm -hmm. They're much more often, you know, stress, anxiety, the list goes on and on. And so, you know, we're quick to jump to, oh yeah, the pill must be the option. But I think very often the reality is, is we have to, we have to first address like, oh, what is going on for us psychologically? Mm -hmm. Like, am I under a lot of stress at work? Am I under a lot of stress in the family? Um, you know, am I being, am I anxious about something? What is my health like? You know, am I, am I taking care of myself? And I think those are so much more often the answer about what is going on than it being necessarily a strictly medical issue. Now we have one last big divorce question. Another big phenomenon for, uh, people coming out of divorce is something I, I feel like y'all have probably heard of this, the post-divorce hoe phase, people that are freshly out of divorce. They're going out there having a lot of fun, hopefully a lot of fun, dating a lot, perhaps sleeping with a number of different people, getting out there, figuring things out. 
sometimes it can be really health, you know, healthy and empowering. And other times it comes from being out of control and in a lot of pain. What is your advice for figuring out where that's coming from in yourself and how to approach it so that it's, you know, I, I would call us a sex positive crowd, but there is a difference between doing it from a healthy place and an empowering place and a place where you're maybe being kind of self-destructive. That's a great question. And I think the best advice that I can give is to ask people to ask themselves a question here, which is, what am I hoping to experience with the sex that I'm having? So is it, you know, you know, hey, I have been holed up for a long time. I haven't had the sex that I've been wanting to have. I feel like I've had all these years wasted and like, I want to get out there and have fun and, you know, experience life again, experience intimacy again. So is it that kind of excitement that's coming up or is it a sense of, you know, when I'm wanting to have sex, I'm actually, I'm feeling really anxious or I'm wanting to progress a relationship and, and see if I can get somebody to commit to me, or I'm wanting to prove to myself that I'm still desirable. So it really does come down to being honest with ourselves about what is it that I'm looking to achieve or experience with this. And I would also ask yourself that question after you've had sex too. Like, what am I feeling right now? How did that really feel? So similar to what I talked about a few minutes ago, like I think that this is one of those things that we can't fully know until we've had some of those experiences. So I want to encourage people, like don't judge yourself too harshly. We've all had experience. I've definitely had plenty of sex where I look back at it now and I'm like, I wish I had made a different decision. (laughs) But you know what? I learned something about myself. And, you know, as long as you're not doing anything to really put yourself in any sort of danger or harm yourself in any sort of way, like I do think we need to be a bit gentle with ourselves about making a few mistakes too. But get really honest with yourself. What am I hoping to experience when I'm making these decisions? And what am I truly feeling after? That's great. Well, I think truthfully, we could probably go on for a very long time talking about this subject. There's just so much to it. But in closing, if listeners were to walk away remembering one thing or thinking about one thing, what would you want them to remember? My best advice would really to be to start getting comfortable talking about sex, whether that was something that you never talked about in your previous relationship, or maybe you did, but you know, there's some ways that you're seeing that you want to improve it and, and address it differently in the next relationship. I think that really is the fundamental skill that so much of what we teach comes down to It's just getting comfortable talking about sex openly. What's your answer? <laughs> um, Let's see. I think I think that I, you know, I just want people to know that talking about sex can actually be really fun, not only fun, but connecting and, you know, the talking about sex can actually cause both of you to want more sex and to enjoy sex even more. And I know that it feels like a scary thing when you haven't done it before, but I promise you that once you take couple of those baby steps and start getting more comfortable with this topic that it's like a whole new world and it's super fun and uh, exciting. I'll add on to that. A recent lesson that I've learned over and over again, and it was just made clear to me again recently. A lot of times the things that I know, I'll just, I'll just say about myself, you know, and if it resonates with anyone out there, great. For me, the things I have anxiety around talking about, I know that means I should talk about it. If I'm really scared to talk about it, that's the thing I need to talk about. 
And I have been really surprised to find that most of the time when I bring it up, it's a way to connect to the person that I need to have that conversation with, you know, whether it's about sex or if it's even just a relationship thing or someone who's just a friend or a family member. I've been surprised more often than not, it actually goes in a really positive, connecting, meaningful direction. And I feel closer to that person. And later I'm like, wow, that was not that bad. And I, I know I was anxious about it, but I'm so glad I did it. Yeah, you know, so many people ask us how to avoid awkwardness when it comes to sex. And we're all about actually just leaning into the awkwardness. I think awkwardness is such an incredible bonding experience to have with other people. Like just like what you're saying, like when you get on the other ends of that conversation and you can and say like, man, that was so freaking hard for me. But like, hey, we did it. Like, it's a really intimate experience to be able to share. So I say lean into the awkwardness, embrace it and share that vulnerability with each other. Love that. Well, on that note, thank you, Vanessa and Xander for joining us today. And I know you mentioned it earlier in the episode, but where can people find you to learn more? You can find us on Instagram at Vanessa and Xander and that's Xander with an X. We're super active over there. If you want to check out our guides and courses, they are over at vmtherapy.com. We have amazing things like ultimate foreplay guides, sex challenges, the art of initiation, some really fun stuff. So check that out there. And you can also find our book, Sex Talks, The Five Conversations That Will Transform Your Love Life at vmtherapy.com, or you can go straight to sextalksbook.com. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. And we hope everybody has a great week. Thanks for having us. Still thirsty? You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Thirsty the Podcast. Share this show with your community. Rate, review, and follow us wherever you get your podcasts.